Welcome to the Rock Community Church. Pastor John Warehouse is teaching from the book of Acts. Enjoy today's sermon. How are you? God bless you today. Thanks for coming and being with us, a part of the Rock Community Church. For those of you who are visiting, we thank you for being here. Um, it is our pleasure that you would come and spend this uh, morning with us. We have another hour to spend together and kind of go over, no, not a whole hour, but a little bit of more time to go over the Word of God and thank you for being here. We are honored that you come. For those of you that are here all the time, thanks. It's just a privilege to be a part of the ministry that, that God is doing with us. We're in the most wonderful of places in Scripture. We're in Acts chapter 1. And, and you won't, wait till you see. This week was just like amazing to me in my own study. Now, maybe this message is just for me. I don't know. But I, uh, I believe it's going to touch all of our hearts. Let's put ourselves into perspective of what's going on here. Our Lord has gone to the cross. He died. He rose from the dead. He appeared back to the guys. And now, as we're going to read, he's going to, he's going to be a, uh, ascend into heaven itself. You can, if you can, try to put yourself in their places. Their places, meaning the apostles, the men and the women who are now going to be left behind. What must be going through their minds? He has given them orders, as we saw, I think, in verse 2 of chapter 1. Yes, given orders to the apostles. But, as we have taught very clearly, I hope, those orders have fallen over to us as well. In other words, they were passed on to each generation, and now we are the generation that are supposed to do what God has asked us to do. Well, in this time, these gentlemen and ladies were watching the Lord ascend into heaven, and I, for one, think they probably thought, man, their world is just coming to an end. Because now what? Because as we're going to see, he didn't give them a lot of how-tos, he just said, here's what you're to do, but didn't tell him how to do it. He has done that to this day. He doesn't tell us how to conduct church. He just asks us to do what we do in church so that we, we equip one another, so that we, we, we ready, ready each other so as we can grow in our faith. It's an amazing thing that the Lord has offered to us. Now, in this particular message, something came to me. I'll tell you what it is when we get to it that was just so overpowering. And it was such a... I, I looked and tried to find in as many commentaries as I could, am I on the right track? I have not found any, any of this in commentaries, but I believe with all of my heart I'm on the right track. I'll tell you what it is so that you can take it for what it is worth when we get there. But it is a place in Scripture that I... I'm telling you, as I was studying this week, it was just like overwhelming how it had dealt with my own heart. Let's read now. Let's, let's take a look at Acts chapter 1. We've already studied about to verse 8, but I want us to read from verse 4. From verse four. Excuse me. Can you tell I'm excited? I am so excited about this place in Scripture. We're going to read from verse 4 to verse 11. But what is going to take place in here is monumental to the men and women that lived in that time and ought to be monumental to us today. Let's watch. Verse 4, he gathered them together, commanding them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. 
Verse 6, And so, when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs, which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But, he says, verse 8, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. After he had said these things, verse 9, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was departing, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them, and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the, in the same, just in the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Now think for a moment. What in the world, why would they ask, are you, why are you looking? Have, can you imagine the, the enormity of what just took place? Try, let's try, please, to put ourselves into their place. Here he is, lifting up off of the ground, rising into the sky, being encaptured within a cloud of sorts and being taken away. I may mention the first service. I remember I was playing baseball and Vero Beach was, was with the, the Dodgers and, and we were having spring training and we were reading in a paper there was going to be, um, what, uh, you know, a rocket. Uh, there was going to be that, that first, first space launch, you know. And it was going to be at Cape, Can- Cape Kennedy, Cape Canaveral, whatever they called it. And we were in Vero Beach, which was, I don't know, quite a few miles away. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden somebody said, look. And you could hear a rumbling, and you looked into the sky, and you saw this, I mean, an enormous, for as far away as it was, just flame, just busting, and you could see this thing being lifted up into the sky. I mean, all around Florida. And we stopped practice, and we were looking. And every one of us, you know, until it just disappeared. Now that's okay, that was a major deal in that day. But can you imagine the Lord saying, here's what I want you to do. Here's your orders. I want you to reach the world for the cause of my name. I want you to go to Jerusalem. I want you to go to Judea and Samaria. All of those places our Lord was, was um, um, what's the word? He was uh, being judged. Not, not being, you know, they, they were looking down on him. What am I trying to say? They were condemning him. Thanks. They were condemning him for what he was doing, what he was saying. He's asking these people to go out into the same places that he went, being condemned, and he's going to ask them to give the same message that he gave. And he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to these places. And eventually he says, I want you to go to the uttermost parts of this earth and give this message. And with that, he starts to raise and leave them. And they're there gazing, and, and two angels come alongside of them and say, why are you gazing at him? And what, I mean, what do you want us to do? That's our Savior. That's the Messiah. All that must have been going through their hearts. I want to show you in a moment, after we pray, what really captured my heart in all of this. And let's see if it does you as well. Let's pray. Dear Father, please. 
Would you open our eyes, open our hearts, our minds, Father, every bit of us, that we might behold the most wonderful of, of gifts, and that is the very glory of your word. We read these words where you gave your orders to the disciples, the apostles. They passed it along to the next generation. And Father, you have not, you have not allowed or asked your son to come back yet. And so that message has been given to us. Just as purely as it was given to them, it now has been given to us. And we are to do as you've asked us to do. And we are to pass these things along to the next generation until you return. Father, may we find ourselves faithful in doing that. Open up our eyes that we might understand what this means. And Father, I pray with all of my heart that you would hide the one that gives the message. Please, let us... Let us see and let us marvel at who you are rather than some speaker or, or some whatever. Let us marvel at what you've asked us to do and, and how you've asked us to do these things. And May we just fall deeply in love with you because we sense that we're hearing from your heart to our hearts. I pray this, Father, in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. All right, let's take a look at what's taken place. Two words in verse 6, and so. They are, uh, it's a, a connective word. In, in the Greek, it's M-E-N-O-U-N. It, what it does is it connects thoughts. And so in verses 4 and 5, that's why I read verse 4 and 5 again to us. Jesus Christ gathered the people together. And then he commanded them, not just, not a suggestion. He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait to wait for what the Father had promised the people. And what he said was in verse 7, here's what happened. John baptized us, he said, with water. But in a few days from now, he says, we're going to baptize you. You're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they had come together, verse 6, this connective connects that thought with what they are going to say. It was natural for them to consider that now the kingdom of God was at hand. You see, in the disciples' mind, the outpouring of the Spirit of God and the coming promised kingdom were very closely associated, and well it should be. In the Old Testament, they were frequently, these two events were frequently put together. I want you to see this in Zechariah. Now, most of you say, I don't know where Zechariah is because you maybe haven't read there in a while. Zechariah, if you go to the, the start of the New Testament, Matthew, Zechariah has two books to the left, Malachi, then Zechariah. Look at Zechariah and look at chapter 12 with me for a moment. We're going to see how these events, how it was so common for them to think that, well, naturally, now that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit has come upon us, he's going to now restore Israel to its place that he had promised throughout the Old Testament. Look, Zechariah chapter 12, verse 8. In that day, that day is the day of the outpouring of the Spirit of God. The Lord is going to defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Are you there? Zechariah chapter 12, verse 8. In that day, the Lord is going to defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the one who is feeble among them. That day is going to be like David and the house of David will be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. In that day, I will, God says, set about to destroy all the nations that come against Israel. I will, in that day, verse 10, pour out 
upon the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, so that they will look upon me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for me as one mourns for an only son. They will weep bitterly over him like the weeping or the bitter weeping over the firstborn. The interval between the first and second coming and the kingdom that the Messiah was going to set up was not explicitly taught in the Old Testament. In other words, it wasn't necessarily that simple for them to put these two events together. Let me give you a perfect for instance. If you want to look with me, we're just going to look at a little portion of it. In Luke, as you're going back to Acts, stop at Luke's, Luke chapter 24. One of my favorite places in Scripture is a place that's called the road to Emmaus. Do you remember it at all? It's a time when Jesus Christ was crucified. He died on the cross. He, they, they took him down from the cross and they put him in the tomb. Some of the gentlemen, some of the people were walking away from Jerusalem on the road to Emmaus and they were downtrodden. They were figuring, what in the world's going on? It's like everything fell in right around them. And these two guys were walking the road, and all of a sudden, boom, Jesus Christ comes walking right alongside of them. Think about that. And they don't recognize him. And he says, what are you guys talking about? And they say, are you the only one in this area that hasn't heard of what happened? I mean, they're talking to the very one that got crucified. They said this Messiah, this one that we had our our hopes upon, he was crucified. If you're in Luke chapter 24, just look at at, at the, the first start of verse 21. It says, but we were what? We were hoping. We were hoping that it was he. In other words, he was the Messiah who was going to redeem us, Israel. You see, that that time the connection between the two were not separated. It was hard for them to comprehend that the Messiah would come and for goodness sakes that he was going to die. It was hard for them to comprehend that. And so putting that all together was, was difficult for them at that time. And so when Jesus told the disciples of the soon coming spirit baptism that would empower them, they immediately concluded that the restoration of Israel and its coming kingdom was right at hand. And so, if you turn back to Acts, please, and if you look at Acts chapter 6, and I mean chapter 1, and you look at, at verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, is this the time Is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven questions, seven words. Seven words that I, when I was studying, I'm telling you, it just, it just like penetrated my heart. He simply said, it is not for you to know. Think it through. He's just given them orders to go out into the world. He's going to give them orders to go out and to tell the people about who he is. They're going to come under the same scrutiny that he came under. They put him to the cross. He's asking those men and women to go into the world and perhaps give of their lives, certainly give of their time, certainly give of their energy, maybe their lives. And when they asked him, is it time? He said, it's just not for you to know. Just go. I mean, that's to me is a monumental thing he asked them to do. 
In Deuteronomy 29, 29, it tells us the secret things belong to the Lord. Basically, what our Lord was saying to the disciples at that time is some things you are just going to have to take by faith. You're not going to know the outcome. You're not going to know the timing. Let me tell you what I wrote down here. I wrote down, I cannot tell you how often within ministry I hear people say, I feel like the Lord has forsaken me because I don't get the answer that I feel I should. Like like God has to answer all of our prayers and all of our wishes immediately. Or that we ought to know everything that is happening either to us or a loved one. Let me share with you the truth of the scriptures. Christianity was never like that. Christianity is not a a religion. It is not a, a, a force where God becomes our servant and deals with us on our timetable. On the contrary. Christianity is set up so that you and I are to be his servants here on earth. He's not up there like some great genie in the sky where we can take a a lamp and say, Oh, Lord, I want a a new car, or I want this, or I want that. And poof, out he comes and says, As you wish. (laughs) No, it's not that way. And he let the disciples know very clearly when they say, Is this the time? Not for you to know. You need to deal on faith. I believe yours and my knowing and believing this simple truth, it's not for us to know, might settle a lot of questions that we have that upset so many of us when the Lord doesn't come to our aid as soon or as powerful as we had hoped. Not only is the time of the kingdom unknown, but also the second coming. Jesus Christ made it clear to the disciples, on the day and the hour when I return, no one knows. Not the angels, nor even the Son of God, but the Father alone. He says that in Mark chapter 13, verse 32. Let's face it, folks. There are just some things here on earth that you and I will never know. Those things are reserved for God Deuteronomy 29.29 The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Since you and I don't know when He'll return, then we are, to, we are to always be ready. Here's what I think. I think that was His master plan. It is my opinion that He didn't let us know so that we would live every day as if He were coming back this afternoon or this evening or tomorrow. Do you live your life like that? I do for the most part. Try to live as if he were going to come back today. It ought to change your attitude. Let me show you something. Turn with me, please, if you would, to Mark chapter 13. It would be well for us to remember this parable our Lord gave. This this place in Mark is incredible. Now, I told you I was going to tell you what, was, what it was. Maybe I didn't make it clear. It was, it's not for you to know. That really set me free. There are certain things in my life that I wanted God to answer. You know, why? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? And I heard, was I studying this week, I heard the Lord say to me, hey, yeah, I can tell you. It's, it's just not for you to know, John. Now, here's the way I took it. Are you willing to serve me regardless? 
And I came to the very strong and very quick conclusion, yeah, I don't need to know everything. It's okay. I'll serve you. In Mark chapter 13, watch this parable. Jesus Christ says in verse 33, Take heed. Keep on the alert. Because, he says, you do not know when the appointed time is going to come. Now he gives us this story, this parable. Look at verse 34. He says, it's like a man away on a journey. Wait, wait, who is the man? That's right. It's our Lord. He's the man in this parable that is away on the journey. Who, upon leaving, back in verse 34, who, upon leaving his house, put his slaves in charge. Who are his slaves? Believers, us. Now watch. Watch how this unfolds. Watch how when you, when you see a parable and you start seeing everything that's fit in with it, watch how it unfolds. Verse 34, let me read the first of it again. There's a man, that's our Lord, away on a journey who leaves the house and he puts his slaves in charge, that's us, and he assigns to each one what? What do you think the task is? Huh? Your spiritual gift. He has assigned every one of us, if we were to study and go through this, you'd go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and you'd see that he has gifted the body. And he gifts us as he so wishes. Each one is different. One is an eye, one is an ear, one is an elbow, a a knee, a knee, an elbow. It doesn't matter what we do. His his choice is to assign you and me different responsibility, different tasks to do while he is away. That's what makes the church so powerful. When you and I believe that our Lord might come back any day and we are working under the power of our particular tasks to do what God has called us to do to ready his house. That's what he is saying here in verse 34. Look, Again, like a man who goes away on a journey, who upon leaving his house puts his slaves in charge, asking each one a task, also commanding the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore, he says in verse 35, be on the alert because, he says, you don't know when the master of the house is going to come back, whether it be in the evening or at midnight or in the rooster crows or in morning. It doesn't, you and I don't know in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. Verse 37, what I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. The uncertainty of our Lord's return, I believe, serves as a wonderful incentive for you and me to live in the urgency of the moment, to live and minister with passion. Because we don't know, this might be the last opportunity we have to share our faith. This might be the last chance that we have to share with that loved one that we have. This is our chance. Because we don't know. No sense sleeping now. He might come back. Let's stay ready. I've been asked before. Been in the ministry now. Do you know what today is, by the way? Uh, Today is March the 12th. uh, March 12th, 2006. On March the 12th, 1973, I accepted Jesus Christ as my... This is my spiritual birthday. Oh, thanks. You don't have to... I didn't say it for that reason. But I'm saying... what I, want, I didn't say it for that reason. Thank you very much. It's kind of you. Uh, 
But what I'm saying is that I've had friends of me say, why is it you don't seem to lose your passion? Um, I've had people ask me that before. The truth of the matter is, I really do love the Lord. I really do feel like he might come back tonight. I don't want to make this the day that I'm sleeping on the job. And so I want to serve him. That's why I think I told you, folks, when I, when I, went, to this, when I went to that uh, market one place, that, uh, what do they call it? Uh, huh? Yeah, it wasn't Costco. Well, I was I was there. I saw you at Costco, but this was a different place. It was like at Albertsons or something. And I, and the, and the young girl that was working there was asking her boss if she could leave early. I think it was like a New Year's Eve or a Christmas. What was it? What was it? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm so in my mind. I don't remember all that stuff, but I do remember she looked at me when I was going to check out, and she said, "You let me go early, wouldn't you?" And I said, "Yeah, I would." <laughs> to which to which her boss looked at me, and I said. I said to him, I think you remember, I said, if you want me to fill in for her, I will, for the, I mean, for the rest of her shift. Now, I was hoping he'd say no. But if he said yes, I was going to do it. I was going to, and I did it for one reason and one reason only, folks. I wanted to share Christ with that girl. I wanted to, I wanted to let that girl know that somebody cared for her. And I, I just, that was my mission. That was, that's what I did at that moment. It was... It was easy to say, yeah, because I wanted her to come to Christ. Now, I have not seen her much since, and I've been hoping that when I go through that place, and I go through that, that market sometimes, you know, often, and, but I haven't had her as a checkout person. I was hoping she'd say, well, that was kind of you, because I mean, who forgets a big old nose of a bald-headed guy? She'll remember me, you know, and I, I'll be able to say to her, if she said, why were you so kind to me? I'll say, well, you know, the truth of the matter is I did that because I love my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and I, I wanted to share them with you. I will tell her that one day if she ever asks, if I get that opportunity. That is our ministry in life. We are to live with the urgency that this might be the last opportunity that young girl might ever get to come to Christ. And are we willing to share with her? Now, back to Acts chapter 1. Let's get back to the message. Jesus has something in mind for us to accomplish, though. He says, it's not for you to know, but here's what you are to know. And that is, in verse 8, he says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And what I want you to do is I want you to be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, as far as you can go to the uttermost parts of this earth. But note, that's what we're to do, but he doesn't tell us exactly how to do it. He just says we're going to have the power to do what he is, wishes for us to do, and that is simply to be his witness. By the way, that's a very personal command. It's not, it is for the church, of course. And the church is to gather together our funds so that we can send missionaries out into the world. But that's the church's responsibility. But this command is an individual, personal responsibility. That you and I are to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. I'll show you the perfect example. We studied just a little while ago in 1 John. Look with me at 1 John chapter 1 for just a moment. I'll show you just a... Great job, Ken. Honest to goodness, you're the best. 1 John 1, 1 through 3. John says in 1 John exactly what the Lord told him to do. And that was simply to be a witness. 
Look what he says. You know what a witness is? A witness is somebody, anyone who has seen something and is able to tell others what they saw. Watch what John does. John, first John, not the gospel of John, but the letter. First John chapter one, verse one. What was from the beginning, John writes. Now watch. What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at, what we touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen, and watch, we testify, and we proclaim to you. In other words, we give witness of the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What he says in verse 3, we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. In other words, we give witness. We give witness to you what was given to us. Let me share with you folks the foremost purpose of why the Holy Spirit has come upon your life and my life is for us to have the power to give our witness for Jesus Christ. And the early church understood that explicitly. They understood. When we get to it, as you're turning back to Acts, stop at chapter 17 of Acts. Watch what happens in chapter 17. In fact, I'm going to turn there with you because I've been quoting just one verse and I think there's more to it than just that one verse. And uh, it slipped my mind a little bit, but not entirely. It would be in Acts chapter 17. Yeah. In, in, in that particular place in Scripture, it says uh, they traveled through... I don't want to read it all. But these they were becoming... They were telling people about Christ. If you'll note in verse 5, the Jews, that means the religious leaders, they became jealous. And they took along some wicked men and they formed a mob. And, 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 they, were, and they, were, they, were, they were kind of against all of these disciples who were coming and preaching. Truly, they were going to be uh, persecuted for what they believed. And it says in verse 6, God bless you, it says, And when, when they did not find them, they began dragging in Jason and some brethren before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have upset the world have come here also. The first... The first disciples and apostles, men and women, understood their responsibility. So much so that they began telling people about Christ. So much so that they were upsetting the world in which they lived. And I wrote in my margin here, on my notes, would you like to upset the world with us here through the Rock Community Church with the cause of Christ? Before you answer quickly, I want you to know there's a price to pay if you do. There's a price to pay to be someone who loves the Lord Jesus Christ. You all of a sudden become chastised for your belief. You all of a sudden become an outcast. You all of a sudden, well, let me just share with you this. In the first century when the church was forming, so many of those who were witnesses for Christ had to shed their blood that the word, the Greek word for witness is M-A-R. T-U-R-E-S. It came to be known as what we call today what? Would you get, did you guess? What? Martyrs. The word witness became someone who was a martyr. They were so on fire for the Lord that what they were sharing in the community and the society and the places in which they lived, it became so uh, antagonistic to those that didn't want to accept that they became martyrs for the cause of Christ. I am willing to try to upset the world for the cause of Christ. I am willing to be a witness, a martyr, if you would. I know many of men and women who 
um, have all of a sudden uh, kind of been cast aside because they won't compromise on the on the message that they're giving. And all of a sudden, society looks on them and looks down on them. I mean, look around today. You want to get yourself into a whole lot of trouble. Just tell people you're a Christian and that you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. Oh, my gosh. People will call you, what, uh, bigoted? I don't know what the, what the huh? Narrow-minded. Narrow-minded. That's right, way. And they'll kind of chastise you. They'll put you outside of the loop. All of a sudden, you're a person non grata in the, in the group that you hang with. For me and my house, it's worth it. I would much rather have my Lord say, look at that guy. Look at him proclaiming you, Jesus. Hey, nobody like him down there. Do you like him? Yeah, I do too. I'd rather they like me up there than the people down here. You see, that's what's happening in churches today, folks. Make no mistake about it. There are pastors out there that are feeling the pressure that mounts against him when you preach Christ and preach him clearly. And all of a sudden, fewer and fewer people start coming to their church. And so what they do is they water down the message so as to get a bigger crowd. And they say they do that for the, they say for the cause of Christ, but really they do it because they're, they're gutless. They don't want to proclaim the gospel as it ought to be proclaimed. And they've misunderstood what the Bible has told us to do as a group of people. We have never been given the privilege to water down anything concerning the Word of God. He's not said that we can do that. He has told us that we are to preach the gospel and we're to proclaim the Word of God so as people can make a decision about their lives. And he tells us, look, it is my Word that will accomplish what I have desired for it to accomplish. It will not come back void, not your thoughts, not your ideas. And so there are many, many churches today that have watered down the gospel so as to not offend the visitors. We won't do that to you. If you're visiting with us today, we'll tell you the truth so that you can deal with the truth. We believe with all of our heart that you would rather hear that two and two is four than to think that two and two might be three or five. We believe you want to deal with the truth. We'll try to tell you the truth as best we know how. And so Jesus Christ is the only way. Not because we say it, but because that's what Scripture says. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you don't come to the Father except through me. We can't say it any other way. We don't have that right. And so, so many of the people in the first century sealed, sealed their fate, shed their blood, as we're going to see later on, that the word witness became to be known as a martyr. Now, let's, let's finish the message. Let's talk about what happens next in verses 9, 10, and 11 of Acts chapter 1. It's an amazing place in Scripture. I think of all the miracles that Jesus Christ did, this to me was the one that was the most purposeful. I'll tell you why in a second. This one of all of them that he did is the one that puts the most clout to the people that followed him. Think about it for a moment. Pastor West says, I want all of you to come outside. I've got something I want to tell you. We all go outside and Pastor West tells us and with that he starts to go up into the sky and says, now be faithful. And he goes, I mean, do you think we've been watching? Oh my God. Now what? Verses 9, 10, and 11 describes our Lord's ascension, but it also tells us that he's going to return. 
I want you to see it most clearly. It talks about his coming back in the book of Revelation. Turn, hold your place here and look at Revelation chapter 1 with me for a moment. We are told in, in the book of Acts that he is going to come back, the angel said, just as he left, in full view, everyone will be able to see him. That's what the book of Revelation says. John preaches the same message that Luke is preaching. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, it says, Behold, are you there yet? Last book in the Bible, book of Revelation, first chapter, seventh verse. Behold, he is coming with clouds. Every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth, of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. We just read a little while ago. Let me refresh your memory. Hold your place here in the book of Revelation. Don't, I won't tell you where, so you'll just listen to me. Zechariah identifies the, those that will pierce him as the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Listen to what he says, Zechariah. Just listen to it. I'm going to pour out upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced. The house of David, the, uh, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and they'll mourn. Now, when it says that they will mourn, the word mourning there means that they will weep tears of genuine repentance because of what their forefathers have done to the Messiah by nailing him to the cross. On the other hand, in, in Revelation 1, verse 7, when it says all the tribes will mourn, that's talking about all the rest of the people on this earth. But the mourning of the rest of the people on this earth is not that that accompanies repentance. Rather, it is a mourning uh, uh, as a result over the guilt of sin and the fear of the punishment of sin. I mentioned to you last week, look at Revelation chapter 6 for a moment. I mentioned to you last week that it's very common for us, for those of you here who are still examining the Lord, it is a common thing that you do not want to turn immediately to God. Uh, it's a very common thing to try to, to move away from Him rather than towards Him. It's a very common thing that is sad within the house of God, within the family of God, that we also hide. There are some of you here this morning that perhaps have some sin in your life that you just haven't yet taken to the Lord because you're afraid that of what he might think or, or he might say, not that one again. And you've forgotten that he has forgotten every sin that you did up to the point that you've confessed, that he remembers those sins no more. And you have perhaps forgotten the fact that if you confess your sin, he will be faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But it's not uncommon that we would hide from God. Do you remember back, you remember back in, in, in Genesis? Just think with me. Do you remember when Adam and Eve took of the fruit and ate of it? And they heard the Lord God walking in the cool of the day. What did they do the moment they heard him? They hid from God. It's a common trait. Watch what happens in the book of Revelation when the nations, when, the, when it says when the, um, uh, the tribes of the earth, watch, it says in verse 15 of Revelation chapter 6, Then the kings of the earth, the tribes of the earth, so to speak, the great men, the commanders, the rich, the strong, every slave or free man, what did they do? They hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, much like Adam and Eve did in the garden. And they said to the mountains and they said to the rocks, Fall on us and what? 
hide us from the presence of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand? They were scared to death. They were mourning when He came back. Our purpose in life is to have you and I in such a situation that we're on the alert that when He comes back, we're going to be excited rather than frightened. We'll be anticipating His coming back rather than saying, well, I hope it's not today. Not what I'm doing anyways. Give me time to confess it and come back tomorrow. You know, Don't do that. I believe the purpose that the Lord has not allowed you and me to know the exact moment of His coming back. Well, let's face it. You know what it would be like? I'll tell you what it would be like, at least for me. It would be like when I was in school and the, and the teacher said, we're going to have a midterm on, uh, in June. And it's sometime in April. Well, April, May, I'm not going to study. Give me a break. Party. Party, 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 party. Ah, cram, cram, cram. That's what the Lord knows we do. And so he doesn't let us know when that exam is coming. (laughs) That's cool. You got a great laugh. He doesn't let us know when that day is coming. Because he wants us to cram, cram, cram. Do what he's called us to do. And so our Lord's ascension into heaven itself marked the conclusion of his earthly ministry. And what it meant was that the work now is to be taken over by the disciples and the apostles, men and women who were there on this earth. And that places it, folks, directly in your hand, in my hand. Because he hasn't come back. That generation of people back then have passed away. They passed it along to the next generation. The next generation passed away. They passed it along to the next generation. And on and on. And here we are. Here we are with orders from the Lord God himself to proclaim the gospel in our Jerusalems, in our Judeas, in our Samarias, and to the uttermost parts of this earth. And we don't have the right to water it down. And we don't have the right to change it. We have just been given orders because we don't know that it might not be tonight when he comes back. Woe to those churches today that don't preach the gospel and the Lord were to come back. And then he'd look in the pastor in the eye and says, "Um, why were you watering it that down? Why were you not telling them the truth? Do you not know that this was their last opportunity? And you chose to make them comfortable rather than to tell them the truth? We're not going to do that. You wouldn't want us to do that. And so our Lord's ascension places now the responsibility in our hands. True believers who have trusted in Jesus Christ and who have been empowered by the Spirit of God to do what God has asked us to do. And I say to you that I believe this ascension was His greatest is not the word for it. I think it's the most impacting miracle he did with the disciples and the apostles at that time. Think of it for a moment. What a, what a lasting impression it placed upon them. Verse 9 says, when he was lifted up into the sky, there's key words. I'm going to tell you what they are in a moment. They are this. The key word is looking on. They were looking on and a cloud received him out of their sight. Jesus left this world, and look at verse 10. The apostles were 
Another key word is gazing intently into the sky while he was departing. Now, to further the amazement, while they are gazing, while they are looking into the heavens, while they are watching him go away, all of a sudden, unbeknownst to them, is standing alongside of them two angels dressed in white clothing, and they ask him, look what they ask him. Why do you stand looking into the sky? Give me a break. Where do you want me to look? Can you believe what I'm just seeing? Do you know what has just taken place? Our Messiah, our Savior is gone. The words looking and gazing were words that indicate someone who were looking as if they were losing something. And what the angels were doing was rebuking them, very gently, but rebuking them, basically saying, do you not remember that he said he was going to go away and it was better for you that he went away because when he went away, he was going to send you another, a helper, who will be able to teach you, who will be able to conform you, who will be able to do the things that he says only the, the, uh, the Holy Spirit will be able to do. Basically, they're saying, you haven't lost anything. You have gained everything. Now, what they are saying is, go and do what he has told you to do. Go and do just as he has commanded you. Because, basically, folks, there's much work to do. There's a lot of people that you and I need to reach with the cause of Christ. What you're going through, there's a pretty good chance you don't know what it is. And there's a pretty good chance you might not ever know. It's just not for you to know. Can you live with that? Well, I'll tell you how you can live with it. When you really do a deep study of who Jesus Christ is and who God is, and you see how much they desperately, awesomely love you. And they're not allowing you to go through something that they won't care for. If you want to do that, and you can understand that you're not going to know everything, then the next question is, will you be my witness? And you need to think that through before you say yes, because it's going to cost you something. It means, will you be martyred for my sake? Will there be some people in your crowd that all of a sudden doesn't like you because you stand for something far greater than they stand for? And that upsets them. If you're willing to do that, then don't live your life as if you've lost something. Live your life knowing that there's a purpose in it. There's something for us to do. Something for us to do. My plea with you is the same plea I have with myself. Let's live with passion as if the Lord were going to come back today. It's not a bad way to live, to be honest with you. It's kind of exciting. There's times where I wish the Lord wouldn't come back. There's so much more I want to do. And there's times where I wish he'd come right now. Get me out of here. This is a mess. <laughs> but in the process of it all, I love the thought that he didn't let us know when he's coming back. What he's saying to do is cram. Test might be tonight. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you, uh, the secret things of this world, you hide from us. There's certain things you just don't want us to know. And, and for some people, Father, that's uncomfortable. And for some people, Father, it's not. For me, I don't know why, it's just not. 
I look forward to your return, and I, uh, I would love to be someone that is faithful in the process. I just would love to do that, Father. And when I say that, I'm just convicted in my own spirit. I almost felt like something said to me, well, then straighten some of these things out that you're doing wrong, and I will. But, Father, thank you so much for the privilege of being able to preach the gospel as clear as possible and not compromise. I do not want to be someone that doesn't sound the trumpet. I do not want to be that someone that won't tell the truth for fear that this might be the last opportunity that that person gets to hear the truth. And so, Father, may we be that type of people and may we be that type of church. And we'll give you the praise. We will give you the glory because you so richly deserve it. Now, thank you for the people here. I love them so much, dear Father. Bless us as we go, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you so much, more than I can ever tell you. Have a great day, folks. See you next week.